0: Today, we're, it's week number three in a four-part series on Jesus. Um, and really, it's my prayer and it's Danny's prayer that this series, that you would be able to say, hallelujah. You know, that's a Hebrew word. So many times in church, we say words we really don't know what they mean. Hallelujah. Yah is God. It's short for Yahweh, which means I am. We're going to talk about that today. But halal is a Hebrew word for praise or worship. It literally means to kiss the hand. It means to give God worship and praise. And it's our prayer that through this short series that you will be able to see the bigness of Jesus Christ, that He is God, that He is I Am, that He is Yahweh. We started this series in John chapter 1, verse 1, and it said this, In the beginning was the Word. Can we all say that? In the beginning was the Word. When John wrote those words, the first three words in the beginning is the exact same three words that's found in the very first verse and the very first chapter of the very first book of the entire Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, the writer writes this. In the beginning, everybody say that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is playing with those words because he knew the Hebrew audience would know exactly what he was talking about. That God existed before time began. And that Jesus Christ, who is the Word, as we talked about the first week, He is God's communication to us that Jesus Christ existed before time. So in John, we've looked at that Jesus is the Word. Last week, we looked at Jesus is the Lamb. You know, it's amazing about this whole thing with John of Genesis and John, Genesis 1-1, John 1-1, that Genesis chapter 1 records the first seven days of earth's history. And in John chapter 1 and 2, John records the very first seven days in Jesus' ministry. It coincides. In fact, John includes seven statements of Jesus talking about himself. They're called the seven I Ams. Everybody say, I Am. I Am. And we're going to be talking about that because, again, just as the words in the beginning, the Hebrews would think about Genesis, the word I Am, they thought of another huge, important, pivotal point in the history of the Jewish people. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, and God, God's people, the Hebrews, the Jews, are in bondage in Egypt. Remember what we talked about last week? They're in bondage. And God raises up a fellow by the name of Moses. And when God comes to Moses, he's a shepherd. God comes to Moses, he says, I want you to do something. God's speaking through this burning bush. Y'all have seen the Charlton Heston movie, right? Or the prince of Egypt. He's speaking through the burning bush. And he says, I want you to go and set my people free. Moses is just scratching his head. And he's going, um, okay. Um, but you know, there are a lot of gods. It, Egypt has many gods. They worship the sun. They worship the moon. Uh, the river Nile as a god. Pharaoh even thinks he's a god. There's all these many gods out there. So I need to know. Because if I just say God is saying, they're going to go, which one is that? So, I need to know your name. I mean, I need to know your name so that I can be able to go to the Jewish people and they will know, oh, so it's not Ra. It's not the Pharaoh. It's it's the God of the Hebrew people. Moses is being pretty practical here in in chapter 3, verse 14 of Exodus. this This is what God says. God replies to Moses. You want a name? Here it is. I am who I am. Now, if I was Moses at this point, I'd go, well, that clears it up, right? Thanks for that one. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. My name, he says, just tell them that I am. I am, I always have been, I am, I always will be, I never change. I am, I I, I exist apart from time. I'm a God who's outside of time. I am. I am, a reference to just being raw, creative essence. I am, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, Yah for short. Hallelujah. I am. So today, we're going to be looking at the first four I am's that Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus says, I am, and he uses a word to talk about his character. Jesus says, I am, and he uses another word, a metaphor, that talks about who he is in relation to you and I. But make no mistake... He is, I am. He is God. He is and has and will
1: always be. The first I am we're going to look at this morning is found in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Turn to John chapter 6. You may want to follow along in your Bibles. We're going to read a pretty substantial portion of that passage just to look at it. Uh, to see what Jesus says. The first I am is, I am the bread of life. Let me give you just a little bit of background so I can just kind of set you up and then we're going to pick up and read in the passage. What you really need to know about this is the day before Jesus makes that statement, he had fed a crowd that included 5,000 men plus women and children. He fed them with just a few uh, fish and loaves. He fed that crowd. Because of that, the crowd got really excited about this man that came and was able to feed all of them. And they wanted to make him a king. And the scripture says that they had determined to make him a king, but Jesus would not let them do that. So he, he left them so that they could not do that. Now, the passage we're going to pick up uh, in and start reading in begins the very next day as the crowd is again out looking for Jesus. And when they find Jesus again, you have to. this is what they're thinking about, food. He fed them and they want him to be their king. So we're going to pick up and start reading now in John chapter 6. And I believe this is in verse 26. Bear with me. We're going to read a long passage. I want you just to listen to the exchange between the crowd. And most importantly, listen to what Jesus has to say to the crowd. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of His approval, they, re- they replied, we want to, to, we want to perform God's works, too. what should we do? Jesus told them, "This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one who has sent, the one He has sent. They answered, "Show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they were journeyed, while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So you have the setting. He fed them. And what do they want from him now? They want to be fed again and again and again. They want him to be their source of earthly, uh, to meet their earthly needs, to give them the food and drink. And that's why they wanted to make him king. Jesus' response to them was, don't seek those earthly things, food that is perishable. Seek the eternal bread of life. And that's where he comes up with the statement, I am the bread of life. Well, let's keep on reading as we... Uh, move forward in the scripture passage. We're going to begin here at verse 45. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer, so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. Pretty good question, isn't it? It's kind of a natural response to someone that says he's talking about eating his flesh. All right, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. All right, you, again, you just get the setting. He fed them. They wanted food. He says, don't seek the, eternal, the uh, food that perishes here on earth. Seek the eternal food. And then he says, I am that food. I am the bread of life. We go on and he starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they're all pretty confused at this point. So Jesus just, as we read through the story, I want you to see. They were thinking about the manna that God fed to the Israelites in the wilderness after they left Egypt. They were thinking about that bread that came down. And even they said, you know, Moses gave us. And how did Jesus respond? Moses didn't do it. God did it. God is the one who gave you bread. But I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. That's the contrast that he wanted them to understand and to get in their minds as he was talking about being the bread of uh, life. We'll pick up and read a few more verses. In uh, chapter uh, verse 60, he says, Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Skipping a little over just a little bit. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are Spirit, and they are life. Now, the passage tells us over in verse 66, it just goes on to say, At this point... Many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. A few things I just want to point out very quickly about this passage. First, you notice twice Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And twice he says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. He's trying to make a pretty clear point in this passage. The crowds wanted their stomachs filled. They wanted a king who would feed them, who would meet their immediate uh, physical needs. But Jesus rebuked them, and, and he gave them this command, which is really key to understanding what he's talking about. He says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, not seeking after these perishable things. That's where we have to really focus about what is it he tells them to do. And that's really what I, I want to... the English Standard Version gives us a little bit more literal word-for-word translation of exactly what Jesus said. The English Standard Version translates uh, verse 27 this way. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So Jesus is telling them, seek the food that endures to eternal life. Well, let's ask two quick questions, and, and, and we'll look at the answers that are in this passage. What is the food that That endures to eternal life. That's the first question. And the second one is, how do we seek it? How do we labor for it or work for it? All right, the first question. What is the food that endures to eternal life? Say it. Jesus, right? He says it. That's what he says. I am the bread of life, right? I am the bread that comes down from heaven, right? The living bread that comes down from heaven. That's That's not really anything tricky about that. What is the food that we're supposed to seek? Jesus. Okay? Okay. Now, the second question really just gets a little bit more difficult. And, you know, the crowds were literally, I mean, they were taking Jesus very literally and they're saying, you know, how can he give us his flesh to eat and do those things? And he goes through these statements about unless you eat my flesh and unless you drink my blood, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot have eternal life. He says it in a very strong, um, Manner, and what we really want to try and do is understand: is what did he mean by that, and how do we do that? If he is the bread that leads to eternal life, you know what I want to know: how do I eat it? How do I feed on Jesus? How do I do what he just said to do? And that's the question in the teaching that I think we just really want to hold on to here. The answer really comes from what Jesus told them to do. He said, "Seek." Right, seek the bread that endures, that leads to eternal life. Right, and then he talked about the words that he shares. And in the passage I read just a moment ago, he you know he says, you know the um, words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And then we look at the response of Peter to Jesus when Jesus said, you know everybody turned and left, or many of them turned and left. They didn't want to follow Jesus anymore after this teaching. But Jesus, Peter says. Who else are we going to turn to? Because you have the words of eternal life. What Jesus taught, we, we learned earlier that he is the word. He is the actual representation, right? He is the communication of God to us. He also spoke the word of God. He spoke out the word of God. He taught what God had for men to learn. And those words are what lead to eternal life. So, and I would just... How do we do those things? All right, who is the bread, that, that the living bread that comes down from heaven, the true bread of God? Jesus Christ. How do we feed on Jesus Christ? How do we do what he said to do to seek him, to even labor for that? Well, let me just conclude with, th- these are the commands, the, the action verbs that are in the passage that he tells us to do. Come to me. Believe in me. Believe in the words that I have spoken to you. He says, eat and drink. Now, he doesn't literally mean eat him, literally in his flesh. What is he talking about? When we, when we eat, we consume. We take in. And that is really the concept of take in my words. Consume them. And it's not just one time because he, he doesn't say just eat and just drink. He says, eat, he says, feed on. And the tense of those verbs is a it's a it's a verb in the tense that means basically it's a continuous action. Feed on Jesus Christ daily, day in and day out because he is the bread of life that gives us eternal life. Chris is going to pick up with the next uh, I Am statement. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. Teacher, whose sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his own? or his parents sin
0: his blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents sins he is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him as long as it is they, he must keep on doing the work of him who sent me night is coming and no one can work while I am in the world I am the
1: light for the world. Uh. After he said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes. Go and wash your face in the pool of salon. This name means scent. So the man went, washed his face, and came back, seeing. His neighbors then, and the people who had seen him begging before this, asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? He is the one. No, he isn't. He just looks like him. I am the man. How is it that you can now
0: see? The man called Jesus made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and told me to go to Shalom and wash my face. So I went, and as soon as I washed... I could see. He sits there in his own personal darkness. In John chapter 9, John doesn't give us the name of the blind beggar because he could be any one of us. And he is every one of us. This man was trapped in his own Dark sail, not really seeing. He was blind from birth. All of us are blind. Now, we may be able to see to watch television or see to be able to drive a car, but we really don't truly see. We look. At the sunset of the beautiful orange and purples. And we give credit to Mother Nature. We see the twinkling stars in the night sky and the constellations, and we talk about a Big Bang. We see a delicate fawn drinking by a brook, and we talk about Darwin. We see these things, but we really don't truly see them because spiritually, we're blind. We can't see that God is in everything and behind everything, even in pain, that God is even in sickness and even in a debilitating handicap. The disciples see this man, this blind beggar, and he. they ask a question. Who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? But why is he born this way? He must have done something to deserve it. And even though the disciples hung out with Jesus for almost three years, spiritually, they're blind. They're just as blind as the beggar sitting before them because they only see the physical. They don't grasp the the spiritual. And that God is behind everything, even a man who's been blind at birth. Jesus says, as Jesus was walking along, He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, teacher, his disciples asked him. Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus replies, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. But here's the reason. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus' answer is so awesome. The reason why this guy was born blind was so that the spiritual blindness of the disciples could be lifted. The reason why the pain that this man has experienced from birth, never ever being able to see a bee on a flower, never ever being able to see a baby, All of this has come for one reason, and that is so that God's power could shine. It says the last part of verse 3, this happened so the power of God could be seen. Everybody say that, could be seen. Say it again, could be seen. The Greek word for those three words, could be seen, is just one word, and it's phanos. We get our word photo or photos from phanos means this it means to cause to become visible to reveal to expose publicly especially on a sensory aspect jesus is saying this man was born blind so that you and him could truly see but that word also has a double meaning for the word phanos also means this light it means to shine to light up, to reflect. This is the word used about Jesus in John 1, 5, that he is the light. And the world did not understand him. It's the same word used two verses down. Could be seen as the same word used two verses down in verse 5. And it says, Jesus said, but while I am here in the world, I am, I am I am the Phanos, the light of the world. I am the light of the world. God's power shows up best in weakness. God's light shows up best in darkness. People can truly see God when people are born blind and they have their eyes opened. By God. He makes himself visible. He makes himself known. He makes himself phainos. He makes himself light. Literally, unblind. If it weren't for this man's blindness, disciples would not know that he could cure blindness. It's in darkness that God's power shows up best. So the question is are you living in a dark place? No, not like where we're at right now. But maybe you're at work. Maybe the group of men or the group of women you're around in the army, it's just, it just feels dark to you. And you so want to live where there's some light. The stars shine brightest, brightest in the dark. God's light shines brightest in the dark. God has you in a dark place for a reason. He wants you to shine. I am the light. The next I am that Jesus talks about is I am the door. This is found in John chapter 10. And before we go there, I just got to talk with you because this is a little weird. The, if the spit wasn't weird enough, by the way, I really want to comment on that, but different sermon. Um, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gateway. And it's very strange because we think of a door like we had up on stage last Sunday. Very different. In Jesus' culture, when he said that, everybody went, oh, okay, I kind of get it. But i got to be honest with you, I've grown up all my life, been in church all my life, even went to seminary, and it didn't click until I went to Israel. Because it's a different culture over there. They live in an agrarian society. It's all about farming. It's all about raising cattle. It's all about raising animals, especially sheep. The shepherd lived with the sheep, and he would live with these sheep for months only and never ever truly going back home, he would. they were Bedouins and they wandered around. They wandered around and they, they, they went to where the grass was greener so that they could actually be able to feed the sheep. They would go to water where the sheep could drink and they would wander hundreds of miles. And at night, he would gather all the sheep together in something that looks just like this. What this is, and there's literally 10, 20, 30, 40 of these all over Israel. This is a makeshift sheep pen. What they would do is the shepherd would find a cave or some type of bluff or overcrop, and they would build these rocks around it. And they would bring the sheep in there because at night... You have predators. You had thieves that would come and steal the sheep. Or you have a a, a wolf or you have a a, a mountain lion that would come and eat a sheep. And the shepherd would drive the sheep up against that bluff. And there's an opening here. There's no gate here. So what, what the shepherd would do is he would take his body and lie down and rest there the entire evening. And that entire evening, that shepherd was literally the gate, was literally the door. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his his voice and come to him. He's saying, if someone is trying to go around the shepherd, who is acting like the door, you know, they're going to go over the wall. They're not going to go over where the shepherd's at. But I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the door. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. Those sheep who are herded by the shepherd are driven through that door and are safe behind the shepherd's body. They are safe Because of the shepherd. And if anyone is going to go and get one of those sheep, they got to literally go over the shepherd's dead body. Jesus is saying to you and to me today that I am that gate, I am that door. And for you to be safe, you have to come through and I will protect you. You are secure. You have nothing to worry about. He continues in John chapter 10, verse 10, and he says this The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them life and a satisfying life, a full and satisfying life. Jesus' purpose for your life is so that you would be truly satisfied. And if you choose any other direction besides Jesus' way, you're not safe and it's not satisfying. I am the gate. I am the door. Anyone who comes through me will be saved.
1: Not only do you walk through the door, but you walk on a path. That's another analogy, a metaphor that Jesus uses to describe who he is. And this next analogy, we're going to be in John chapter 14. I'll take just a few moments to read that uh, passage, and then we'll talk about it just very briefly. The idea here, just to give you the setting. This is during the Last Supper. Jesus has been teaching his disciples and talking to them just as when he is about to die, to be crucified. And most importantly for the setting here is he's about to leave this earth physically. He will no longer be physically here on earth. So let's pick up with that Last Supper reading, and this is in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. I just love that expression. Jesus has been with them for three years, teaching these disciples. They're the ones who have been with him day in and day out. And he's been teaching them about who he is and about what God's plan is for their lives and how people are to come to God the Father to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says here now, I'm going to be with the Father, and you know the way. Thomas, like just so many of us, often he's just blind. He doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. The light has not come on in his mind and in his heart. He doesn't quite understand it. So what does he say? We don't know the way. That's when we look at Jesus' response to him in verse 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father So we see just there in the context the the way that Jesus is talking about. And when he says, I am the way, he's saying, I am the way to the Father. I'm going to be with the Father. You know the way to get to the Father. You walk along that way. That way is me. The best thing I can do to to help you understand exactly what he was talking about here is just the the whole idea of way really means, uh, and it's actually translated as the road, or the path sometimes. And in the Old Testament, it's often called the highway. And the scriptures talk about the way all the time. And it's, we'll talk just a couple of those references in a moment. But think of it in this fashion. If you decide to go, let's say we're going to go to Destin for a vacation. Now, for purposes of this analogy, you think there's one way to get to Destin and only one way to get to Destin. You can get on a lot of roads and head towards uh, where you think you're going to destiny. you say, oh, that's where I'm going, and that's where I want to go. You can get on road C, D, E, or F, whatever road you want to get on. But if it's not the road that leads to Destin, you're not on the way to Destin when you get on that road. And that's really the idea that Jesus has here. We don't really have time to talk about with the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But let me just make this one point. If you get on a road, and you set, and it, the, road, the sign on the road says, this road leads to Destin, but in fact, it's leading to Mobile, Alabama. Or is it the truth? It's, and that's the whole When he says that, that he is the truth, when he's saying I am the true way, you have to walk on my road, on the path on me to get there. So again, I, I look at these, these um, metaphors, and I wanna, what I want to say is what does it mean to you and I? How do we do what Jesus is actually directing Thomas and the disciples to do right there, which is to trust in him because he is the way the Father. If you go on down the passage and read a little bit further in John, they actually say, you know, he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And Thomas is just clueless again. He says, you know, show us God, show us the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I am the way and I am the truth. Now, very quickly in terms of application, the scriptures are absolutely full of this metaphor of walking the way to God or following the path to God. And the Scriptures really bring out a contrast of two ways. There's the way of man, which is the wrong way, which is always in Scripture the way to destruction and death. And then the Scriptures always talk about the right way, and that is the, um, it's it's often called the way of God, it's called the right way, it's the way that leads to life, it's called the way of salvation, the way of truth, the way of righteousness, the way into the very presence of God, Uh It is called the highway of holiness. And the promise is is that those who walk in the highway of holiness will walk into the very presence of God. Not only does Jesus say that He's the right way, the true way to God, but He says at the, the end of that verse, He says, no one can come to the Father except through Me. So not only is He the right way, He's the only way. He's the only way to the Father, to God. And that really just kind of brings us to the idea of how do we apply this? Are you walking on the right way? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as the way to God? It doesn't matter what your intentions are. It doesn't matter how much you want to get to God, to heaven, how much you want to have eternal life, or how hard you try to get there if you're not walking on the right way. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, you're headed down the wrong path and the wrong way, and the end of that path is death. Let me read one more verse to you and it kind of puts this together, particularly as you look at the last analogy, metaphor that Chris just talked about, the door or the gate that is there. And we're going to just read a passage over in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uh, talks about it, and he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who, who, for the many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a very few ever find it. The word road there, that's the same Greek word that is translated way in John chapter 14. we we'll are reading today. that. Right. So you enter by the gate. Who's the gate? All right? And you walk on the road, on the path. Who is, that? who is that? All right, if we can just wrap this up here just for a little bit this morning. We have very briefly looked at four statements they are metaphors, basically, that Jesus uses to say something about himself, about who he is. I want you to get, we, we like to talk a lot about the big idea as we, as we come out, and, and uh, most of the time when Chris preaches, that's always a, a direct part of his sermon. What's the big idea? Well, what's the big idea for today? What's our big idea? First, I'd say this. It's not our big idea. It's God's big idea. And what is our big idea? It is that Jesus is God's salvation, which is exactly what his name means, God's salvation. Jesus is the bread of life. Are you feeding on the bread of life? Jesus is the light of the world. Are you walking in the light of the world? Jesus is... The door. Are you seeking to enter through him and him alone? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you walking down that path? The path that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many, many ways that you have shown us who you are and what you have done for us. Father, we thank you so much. For your great love, your great love that you poured out upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for providing the way to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.